you ever get in a fight with your parents when you were a teenager and then like swear to yourself that you must have been abducted at birth? That the family you're with just feels so foreign, so alien to you that you must belong somewhere else? Just me? Well, Carlina White, or as she grew up, Nettie Nance, had those feelings, except they turned out to be true. Welcome to Capers and Cocktails, a true crime podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously and gives you something to enjoy while you listen. The following content may be disturbing to some. Discretion is advised. If you're enjoying one of our themed cocktails, ensure you're of legal drinking age and have fun, but drink responsibly. Because the site of today's crime is Harlem, we're making the Harlem Cocktail. Located in northern Manhattan, Harlem is one of New York City's most historic neighborhoods. Since the early 20th century, it has served as a significant cultural, social, and political hub for black folks. The area is surrounded to the west by the Hudson River, to the north and east by the Harlem River, and to the south by Central Park. Harlem has a thriving arts community that includes not only music and dance, but also literature, visual arts, and theater. The world-famous Cotton Club, long thought to be the birthplace of the Harlem cocktail, was originally located at Broadway and 48th Street, which is in the Harlem area of Upper Manhattan, and it existed from 1923 to 1936. To make today's cocktail, you'll take a few pieces of fresh pineapple and muddle them in the bottom of your shaker. Then, take two parts gin, half a part cherry liqueur, or I used cherry-flavored brandy, and one part pineapple juice. Add that to the muddled fruit. Top with fresh ice, shake it, strain it, sip it. Oh, and do sip it. Fair warning, this drink is strong. For the mocktail, take that pineapple and muddle it in the shaker. Then add two parts non-alcoholic gin. The link for the non-alcoholic spirits is always in the description box, just FYI. Then a half a part cherry juice, one part pineapple juice, all into the shaker. Add your ice, shake it up, strain it, and drink it all down. Carl Tyson was 22 years old, working days as a truck driver and nights in a parking garage. 16-year-old Joy White was a high school student. They grew up across Harlem from each other and had been together for a year when they got unexpectedly pregnant. Carlina White was born on July 15, 1987 in Harlem to her delighted parents. When Carlina was just 19 days old, her parents rushed her back to the Harlem Hospital Center. Poor little Carlina had spiked a dangerous temperature of 104 degrees from an infection she'd gotten after swallowing fluid during her delivery. The doctor put her on intravenous antibiotics. Carl took Joy home around 12.30 a.m. so that she could pick up some things and then head back to the hospital. He then returned home to get some sleep before work, but would be awakened by a phone call from the police, calling from Joy's apartment. They would give the horrifying news that his infant daughter was missing, and he could hear Joy screaming in the background. Astonishingly, between 2.30 and 3.55 a.m., someone pulled the IV out of Carlina's little leg and abducted her from the hospital, disappearing into the night. The hospital had video surveillance, but it was broken because, of course it was, on that night. It was also during a nursing shift change. Carl recalled seeing a woman in a nurse's uniform directing them where to go when he arrived with Carlina. He remembered seeing her again when he was looking for a phone to call his parents to update them about Carlina's condition. 
According to a guard, this same description matched a woman who had left the hospital at 3.30 a.m. dressed as a nurse. He didn't see a newborn, but she was a heavier set woman, and it's possible a baby could have been under her nursing smock. This woman had also been observed coming around the hospital's maternity ward for the past several months, posing as a nurse and making other nurses believe she was one. Joy would recall that this woman said one thing to her as her daughter was admitted into the nursery in an evidently absolutely creepy foreshadowing, I guess, way to provide comfort. She said, quote, the baby don't cry for you. You cry for the baby, end quote. This was the first known case of a newborn kidnapping from a New York hospital. The city offered a reward of $10,000 for her safe return. Carlina's parents did as many media engagements as possible and hung up and handed out flyers everywhere, desperate for her to come home. No matter how many years passed, both Joy and Carl believed that Carlina would come home. They said they just felt it. Anogeta Petway, known as Anne, was from Bridgeport, Connecticut. She had some run-ins with the law as a teenager, being charged with forgery, theft, and larceny, but even police officers that knew her family said she, quote, wasn't a hellraiser, end quote. She was said to be popular and fun as a teenager. Anne graduated from Warren Harding High School. In adulthood, she struggled with drug addiction. Anne would say that she used cocaine and smoked marijuana daily throughout her early adulthood and through her 30s. In 1987, Anne got pregnant, or at least that's what she told her friends and family. In the summer of 1987, Anne disappeared for a while and then came home with a newborn. Her family was overjoyed at the new bundle of joy, assumed to be the daughter of Anne and her occasional boyfriend, Robert Nance. Anne named the baby Nedra Nance. Nedra, or Nettie Nance, grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. As she was growing up, Nettie frequently had that little gut feeling that something wasn't quite right about her connection to Anne, and she actually did question whether or not Anne was in fact her biological mother. Nettie's complexion was far lighter than that of Anne, and despite the fact that her relatives frequently referred to her as Little Anne, Nettie did not notice any likeness between the two of them. For most of her young life, she lived 45 miles from Harlem. Nettie gained a little brother named Trayvon when she was 11. At least one source I found said that Nettie was abused as a child, Anne having once hit her with a shoe in the face. Nettie herself would say, quote, She was strict, but she was cool. All my friends used to say she was a cool mom. I'm not going to say she was the best mom ever, but she did what she had to do to make me who I am. Nettie would also double down on the fact that even though, in her words, she got beat, she wasn't abused. Anne worked as a janitor at a local civic center. Nettie graduated from Warren Harding High School, just like her mom, and then all three moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Nettie often relied on her aunt, Cassandra, for advice and help, and they were very close. Nettie called Cassandra her bestie. Nettie also saw her father, but only every once in a while. Nettie herself got pregnant in 2005 and asked Anne for her birth certificate so that she could get health insurance from the state. Anne stalled for several days, saying she would handle it, but Nettie got tired of waiting and searched in Anne's things for what turned out to be a fake Connecticut birth certificate. When Nettie brought the document to apply for government health care, she was told that it was fraudulent and that she needed to leave or she was going to get in trouble. 
That night, Nettie, naturally furious, confronted Anne, who broke down and admitted that she wasn't Nettie's biological mother. She told Nettie that she had taken her in as an infant after her biological mother, a heroin addict, had abandoned her. Anne just kept repeating, quote, she left you and never came back, end quote. Nettie pressed for more information, but Anne refused to say anything else. Nettie gave birth to a daughter, Samani. She got a job as a desk clerk at a motel and moved into her own home, but it still nagged at her. She told Cassandra, who encouraged her to search, so she did. Nettie would search websites like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, but at first, she only searched near her childhood home in Bridgeport. As time passed, she expanded her search, and five years after learning she was not Anne's biological daughter, she found a picture of an infant on that website. The name of the infant was Carlina White. And Nettie was stunned at how much the photo looked like her and her daughter. The missing infant also had the same birthmark that Nettie had. Nettie's aunt helped her call the center's hotline. And just before Christmas in 2011, Joy White and Carl Tyson got an email from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. DNA testing would soon prove that Nettie Nance and Carlina White were one in the same. Little Carlina had been found after 23 years. No child in American history had ever been missing longer before being reunited with their parents. Except I did see a newspaper article from like last week that I think there might be one longer at this point, but it was a long time before she was reunited with her parents. Nettie got in close contact with her biological parents during the course of the next several weeks, yet she had some difficulty in making connections with them. She would say, quote, the mom had that mother instinct. The dad is like I was talking to a stranger, end quote. They continued to try and build the relationship, flying both Samani and Nettie to New York to meet her whole extended family. Her biological grandmother would say, quote, it was wonderful. She didn't even seem like a stranger. She just fit right in. We all went up there. We had dinner together. Her aunts were there. She brought her beautiful daughter. It was magic, end quote. Meanwhile, Anne disappeared. The FBI began looking for her as soon as the DNA results were in. The New York statute for limitations for kidnapping had expired, which I don't really understand why that particular crime has a statute of limitations. Yeah. But federal abductions have no statute of limitations, and she crossed state lines, so federal authorities were looking for her. As the whirlwind of the past few weeks caught up to Nettie, she started to think about Anne. She would say, quote, I just hope the officials can get her in their hands so we can hear her side of the story now. It was a confusing and downright terrible time for Nettie. She pulled away from her biological family and her abducted family. She ditched her social media, changed her phone number several times, and stopped returning all emails. She disappeared. Joy, her biological mother, would say, quote, I'm her mother and it hurts not to have a relationship. I want her here. I want my daughter back, end quote. I, yeah, it's a hell of a lot to process. And even though Nettie would say that she recognized she caused her biological family pain, I cannot blame her. I feel like I would have done exactly the same thing in this situation. And there was also an issue of money, although I think this is a weak kind of clickbaity type motive for the short estrangement of Nettie and her birth parents. You see, after the abduction, Joy and Carl sued the hospital for negligence, yeah, and were awarded $750,000. 
At the time, and by their own choice, they set up a trust fund for Nettie. They set aside about $160,000 of the settlement for Nettie, where it stayed until her 21st birthday. It was for her in case that she was found before then. But her 21st birthday came and went, and she wasn't home yet. By this time, Joy and Carl had parted ways and each had their own families to support. They took the money out and spent it. News articles reported that Nettie wanted that money for her and her daughter and that this had caused an estrangement. Nettie would later say that it was all a misunderstanding, and that to me makes a lot more sense, to be honest. On the morning of January 23, 2011, Anne surrendered to the FBI headquarters in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She'd driven from North Carolina to Connecticut to arrange for Trayvon's care. Anne told federal investigators that she kidnapped Nettie after suffering many miscarriages. She said she was worried about whether she, quote, would ever be able to be a parent, end quote. At her first court appearance, she didn't enter a plea at all, which I didn't realize you could even do. She was, however, formally indicted for kidnapping on February 17, 2011. 50-year-old Anne Petway pleaded guilty to federal kidnapping on February 10, 2012. Her attorneys asked for leniency, saying she had been deeply depressed after repeated miscarriages and stillbirths. At the sentencing, Joy would testify, giving a gut-wrenching statement. She would say, quote, My daughter is here, but she's not home yet. Pray God she will be soon. The one thing that is for sure is the devastating pain that this woman has inflicted on and continues to inflict upon both me and my family. It is very real, and we'd better learn to live with it because it is here to stay. I continue to ache for my daughter every minute of every day. All this because you chose to heartlessly kidnap my baby daughter and to take years away from all of us that we can never get back, end quote. Judge P. Kevin Castle would say, quote, This was not a crime of greed. This was not a crime of vengeance. But it was an act of selfishness, a crime of selfishness that inflicted a parent's worst nightmare on a couple, end quote. I think he summed it up pretty well. He would sentence her to 12 years on July 30th, 2012. Judge P. Kevin Castle would say, quote, This was not a crime of greed. This was not a crime of vengeance. But it was an act of selfishness, a crime of selfishness that inflicted a parent's worst nightmare on a couple, end quote. I think he summed it up pretty well. He would sentence her to 12 years on July 30th, 2012. Carl would argue that the punishment wasn't severe enough and that Anne should serve as long a sentence as Carl had to suffer without his daughter. And to be honest, I think that's a pretty good argument. Nettie did not attend the sentencing. Anne apologized during the sentencing, saying, quote, I would like to apologize to the family. It may be rejected, but I am deeply sorry for what I've done. If they don't accept it, it's understandable. I'm here to right my wrong, end quote. Kidnapping by a stranger is exceedingly rare in the United States. An estimated 115 children per year are abducted by strangers. That's something like 1% of all child abductions. Of those, fewer than 10 are from hospitals. In fact, over the last five decades, 50 years, this has only happened approximately 325 times total. And these type of kidnappers tend to have a similar profile. They're almost always women, and many kidnap infants to keep a boyfriend or a husband, and they may have themselves pretended to be pregnant, or they've had a recent miscarriage or are unable to have a child themselves. They are of childbearing age and may or may not have other children at home. 
They often visit hospital nurseries to, I guess, case the joint in advance of the crime and will often dress as a nurse to move around the nursery undetected. They will often befriend the victim's parents prior to the abduction. Today, hospitals have increased security to ensure safety for newborns. Most hospitals now have an electronic tagging system for babies and parents, which will send an alert if the baby is moved out of the maternity ward. Hospital employees also wear specific, special identification that is easily visible to families. Most hospitals also have changed their policy, ensuring that babies are moved only in bassinets and are not permitted to be carried anywhere by nurses. And at many hospitals, babies are, they, they just sleep in the room with their parents. Hospitals also have code pink drills, where they practice what to do in the case of a suspected abduction. Anne Petway served her time at the Federal Correctional Institution in Aliceville, Alabama. She was released early on April 14, 2021. I don't know if she has any contact with Nettie or Nettie's daughter, Samani. At least before all of this went down, Anne and Samani had a close relationship. Grandmother and granddaughter, sort of. Nettie would say, quote, I'm not mad at Anne anymore. I was, but only because she hid something from me for so long. But I can appreciate what she did for me. Nettie changed her legal name back to Carlina White, but goes by Nettie, a name she says she chose all for herself. She would say about the situation, quote, there was a part of me that wasn't even there, and now I feel whole. Even in the beginning of the year, with all the drama and stuff, I was kind of cloudy. But now I know who I am. That's the main thing, just to find out where you come from and who you are, end quote. I'd say so. In 2012, Nettie tried to sue the city of New York for $2 million, but the case was thrown out. She couldn't sue the city because Carl and Joy had already sued on her behalf in 1988. In 2014, Nettie spoke at the Crimes Against Children Conference, the main national training event for law enforcement officers working to reduce child victimization. And at least as of 2014, she was still in contact with her biological mom and dad. Joy would say, quote, Every time I see my daughter, she catches me staring at her, and she laughs as she says, Mommy, why are you staring at me? And I say, I can't believe what I see before my eyes. End quote. So I watched a Lifetime original movie, which is linked in the description box, about this story, and I actually really liked it. I was kind of glued to the screen for the whole movie, which is honestly kind of unusual for a scripted show for me. I'm mostly just into documentaries. It got some terrible critical reception, including one critic who said, quote, the film was an emotionless wreck that did not do the story justice. I don't know. I mean, it was a Lifetime original movie, so I'm not sure we can expect Oscar-worthy performances, but I enjoyed it. Watch it and tell me what you think. Something that I think the movie did a good job of was showing how difficult all of this was for Nettie. There is no winning in this situation as the abducted. It's complicated. On the one hand, you're so happy to have found your family of origin. On the other, you have an entire other family that raised you for over 20 years. On yet the third hand, I guess, that mother that you loved as a mother, that was your mother for the most formative parts of your life, she's the one that kidnapped you, stole you from your family of origin. Complicated. And just a lesson, I suppose, in the idea that many different truths can exist at the same time. Thanks for hanging out with me. I really hope that Nettie is living her very best life now and she has as many familial connections as she wants. 
I hope Joy and Carl have found some peace. I have empathy for Anne for sure, but man, she was really in the wrong and she sure did ruin a lot of years for a lot of people. I hope she's made amends where she can. Oh, hey, look, another Twitter plug. I have some fun things going on on Twitter. Memes, clips from episodes, etc., etc. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually kind of like Twitter. Anyway, it's at Capers Cocktails if you're so inclined. No and on that one. Next week, a man who could sell a drowning person a glass of water. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. I'll see you next week. And remember, there are literally a million alternatives to stealing someone's baby.